This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn featuring drummer Joey Casada. And, uh, well, we've got Steve Brown on the line. Steve, is, is he the mighty Joey Casada? He's definitely the mighty Joey Casada. I will give him a mighty. Yes, uh, I love him so much that, yeah, the, the ha- handsome and mighty and, uh, yes, what, and what a drummer. And uh, though he sometimes smells like garlic, it's okay. He's 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 kind of dreamy, I guess. Right? That's that's what you're trying to say. And ah, yeah, of course, yeah, so, something like that. Now, brother Joey, we love him and uh, so proud of him, and uh, great to have him. You know, the cool thing about Joey is he's like a newcomer to our family. You know, with me and PJ and playing with Eric Martin and filling in playing with Trickster. Uh, he's one of these guys that, you know, and I said it to him, I think over the last year when we were doing the Jim Brewer thing, I said, Joey, where have you been all my life? You know what I mean? Cause he's like, it's very rare that you meet somebody who is musically into the same things you are, um, uh, can play at your level, play with you, you know, at a level that you like to, to rock at. And, uh, and more than anything, just to be such a, a great guy and someone you get along with, you know, like, I mean, from the first moment on that the three of us, PJ, myself and Joey played together, uh, it was first off, it was musical explosion. We had that chemistry right there. It was like, boom, locked in playing the Mr. Big songs, trickster songs, you know, and some of that stuff is not easy. And we, we nailed it after the first rehearsal. And then most importantly, the personal aspect where it's like we laugh at the same jokes. It's all, you know, look, we were all brought up in the same time, but, you know, it's it's not that often that you meet somebody that's kind of like your, you know, like I always call people my rock and roll brothers, you know, and there's a couple of guys out there that speak sort of the same language as I do, like PJ and I and Eric Martin is certainly one of them. And Joey Casada is definitely another one. For, and uh, we we welcomed him into our beautiful family with open arms. Yes, you certainly did. And, and of course, if you uh, want to know where he was your entire life, you can find out by reading his book called Start with a Dream, a drummer's journey from rock and roll to TV to Broadway. Um, there you go. Have, have you have you read his book, by the way? Because I have. It's actually very fascinating because there's a forward by Peter Chris, and we all love Peter. And there was, of course, his band that opened up for Kiss back in uh, 2004, I believe it was. Um, did, did you have a chance to, to dig into Start with a Dream? Of course. I mean, I, I read it. I but you know, first off, to support my brother, I bought a copy of it, you know, even though he offered free copies, but I wouldn't accept it. Um, I'll let him buy me dinner at some point, which will be even better. But uh, no, I bought his book the first week it came out. You know, we uh, we were I was part of the Joey Casada army that helped get it to the top of the Amazon charts. Uh, and so, but yeah, it is, it really is a great book and, uh, I'm just so proud of him for doing it and the reasons why he wanted to do it. You know, he told me, man, he did it for his kids, you know, to really, you know, to, to, so his kids know who their father, you know, their father is and what he's all about. And, you know, Joey had a, had a, a great story. And growing up in Brooklyn, and it's just, you know, it's really the American rock and roll dream. And, you know, look, man, 
we have a lot in common. We all do, you know, Mitch, I know that, you know, coming up soon, you know, in two weeks, I think is the anniversary for Joey and I, and a lot of my friends in the New York, New Jersey area, 40 years ago was the first time we saw Kiss, you know, on the dynasty tour, the second night at Madison square garden, July 25th, Joey and I were at that same show together. Uh, you know, not knowing it, but, you know, lo and behold, how many years later we're playing together and we still talk about that show like it was yesterday. So that, you know, that show, by the way, that, that Dynasty show was epic because my first Kiss show or my first show ever was August 6, 1979, which was Kiss It at the Montreal Forum. And sure. this year uh, they are playing the Montreal, uh, well, the Bell Center, the Forum is no longer a venue on August 16th. So almost to the day, 40 years later, I get to see uh, Kiss again, which is remarkable. Just real quick, you've had two anniversaries. 35 years ago uh, this week in July, uh, Trickster started up. Tell tell me a little bit about that. I saw you posting about it. I was going to try to do a post about it, but I couldn't find any images that I could use. But 35 years of Trickster? Yeah, uh, July 10th of 1984 was the first uh, official show of Trickster uh, in my hometown of Paramus, New Jersey, at the band, the Paramus Band Shell behind the public library. Um, Wow, yeah, and it was just one of those things, you know, to where um, I felt it was important to share that with everybody. And for me, it was a very, uh, how do I say it? It was very emotional writing the, the, you know, writing the caption to those photos for me. You know, uh, you look back on your life and things that were monumental. And that for me was certainly one of them, you know, that the flyer that I posted was the, you know, the, lo- the handwritten logo of mine, you know, very much like Ace Freely with the first, you know, Kiss logo. And, you know, at all, we all know how important the, lo- the, 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 the logo was to, you know, the 70s and 80s rock bands and the Trickster, the original tr- Trickster logo was no exception. And uh, that was, you know, the band that I named and the band that I formed and created and, you know, and look what it's brought me. You know, he, here I am 40, 35 years later, sitting in my house, talking to Mitch LaFon, doing a podcast about Joey Casada. So, you know, that's what a monumental success. Come I, on. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm telling you, your your career arc is just, <laughs> you know, at the end of the rainbow, there definitely was a pot of gold. I got, I got to say, um, what else can you tell me about good old Joey? I mean, he he is a a solid drummer. He is he's a, an author now. Did you see any of the shows on that Kiss tour that he was with um his band? With ZO2, sure for sure I did. I saw him when they played at the PNC Arts Center. Um unfor- you know, unfortunately I'm always working, so it wasn't, you know, that easy for me to get out, but yeah, I was at that show um and I had known about ZO2 um, way, way before that and their, you know, um, their sort of climb. And I always really liked the band a lot. You know, of course, uh, Paulie and David Z were, you know, always were, uh, you know, tremendous. I thought tremendous talents and, you know, God bless David Z. And, and that's how that's how I remember. We also with Joey, I remember um, we did Trickster uh, play the M3 festival. I think it was maybe 2010 or, or maybe it was, I, I'm trying to think whatever, but ZO2 was on it. 
And I remember seeing them there. And I remember seeing them when in LA, when they were showcasing and I always thought they were great. And I always thought Joey was extra special, you know, because he's a great drummer. He can also sing and, uh, you know, much more than a solid drummer. He can pretty much, you know, do any style of, you know, drumming that I've ever seen. Anything that we've ever thrown at him musically uh, and rhythmically, he's able to tackle. So monster talent, um, phenomenal guy, family guy. And his book, like I said, you know, has a great story and a great message you know, um, that, you know, if you believe and you, you follow through, follow your dreams and, and Joey's still doing all that, you know, his love of wrestling, um, and the different things that he's involved with, with, he's got a cartoon that he's been pitching and trying to get off the ground. He's got a wrestling TV series. He's really a Renaissance man. You know, I'm waiting for him to come out with his own sock line or some sort of fashion wear, um, you know, and then, you know, and then he probably his own whiskey or wine. And then I think the, you know, the, the Renaissance man transformation is, is 100% complete in my book. Oh, but. yeah, he's getting there. And, and true or false, Joey Casada is the biggest star in the Eric Martin band. Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll give him that. I'll give him that because you know what? He'll, he'll, he'll buy me a drink the next time I see him, you know, or, or he'll buy, like I said, he'll buy me lunch. So no, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, as you know, it's a hard, it's a hard, um, there's a lot of would be comedians in the Eric Martin band between, you know, between myself, Eric, and, you know, the, the great and fabulous PJ Farley. So there's a lot of competition there, but Joey uh, certainly holds his own weight. And being that this is his interview and we're focusing on him and his book, I'll, I'll, I'll give him that. I'll give him the MVP of the Eric Martin band. All right. We'll, we'll give him that. And and before we get to Joey, because I want to get to him in the next couple of minutes here, do you want to quickly tell me the Chinese chicken salad story that Eric Martin loves to tell? Are you able to do that in his voice? Uh, well, it, well, it involves, I can sort of give you the cliff notes. Eric would certainly give you uh, give you a better story of it. But the of long course. story, the long story short is that years ago, and this involves Eric Martin and the great David Coverdale, who we all love and uh, who I recently got to meet, as you know, at M3, my first time, there aren't a lot, a lot of rock stars that I haven't met. And David was always kind of like that, that mysterious one where anytime I was near him or it just never worked out. So I finally got to meet David Coverdale and he was the nicest chap in the world. And, you know, Joe, you know, Joe Elliott and him are great friends and the whole Def Leppard family thing came into play. And it was, it was more than I ever could imagine. And David, if you're listening, I love you, buddy. And really thank you for being so nice to me. So the story is, and Eric Martin will definitely tell it better, but was is that um, David and his wife, Cindy, were doing, and I think Cindy was doing a celeb rock star sort of cookbook in their wives and, you know, sort of rock stars in their wives, celebrity cookbook type thing. And um, somehow Eric got invited to do this book. And, um, and so Eric's, Eric's wife, Denise, at the time made, uh, I guess, you know, had to come, they had to come up with a recipe and the, Denise, I guess, made this great Chinese chicken salad and that's the way it happened. But so long, I guess a couple months after the book was released or right when the book was released, they had to do a book signing and Eric got invited by David and Cindy to do this. And, uh, 
I don't know if David didn't really know Eric's name or just in his David's sense of humor. He just decided that Eric was not going to be Eric Martin. But when date, when Eric came into the room to see him, um, and maybe this was on, Oh, okay. So it maybe when he came into the room to see him and it, it, you know, Eric was like, Joe, uh, David was like to Eric, Chinese chicken salad, you know, rec- recognizing the, the, the dish. But I think what the real story is, uh, and it's coming back to me now is, is that Eric and uh, Eric and Mr. Big, I believe were playing a European festival with white snake a couple of years ago. And then Eric was going backstage to see David. And as soon as he came in the dressing room, David said to him, Chinese chicken salad in that great low David Coverdale English accent of his, you know, so that was always the ongoing sort of joke that we would have in the band. We would call Eric Chinese chicken salad. That's the greatest story ever. And yeah, I do have to get Eric to tell me that story. Well, I mean, he's told it to me, but I think you need to have him tell it with the visuals. We're going to have to put it on YouTube or something because he does the, the motions and the faces and it's, it's, it's great. Yes. Yes. It's, it's certainly one of those things. And it's, you know, anybody who's met David and knows he is, you know, a rock royalty and a rock legend. And uh, he is all that. So, and to see Eric Martin, and especially when Eric and myself do the, do the impersonations, it's uh, it's definitely Oscar-worthy performances. It really is. And so here we are, folks. Without further ado, here is the one, the only, Steve, and? The one, the only, the mighty Joey Casada. We are speaking with a drummer Joey Casada. The new book is Start With a Dream. And, of course, there is a nice forward written by the one, the only, drummer extraordinaire Peter Chris of Kiss, and I'm not going to say formally of Kiss because Peter will always be part of the family. Uh, good day, Joey. How are you? How are you, the Mitch Lafon? How's everything? Good. Life is good, even though it's cold and snowy in uh, the beautiful <laughs> Montreal. But uh, you know what I what I found amazing about this book is that you and I have had, well, you and I have crossed paths over the last 15 years without ever having met until about. Uh, what last year i guess with uh, the eric martin band but right. i yeah where but, do we uh where uh, well you read the book so where are we crossing paths that we didn't even realize well first first and foremost it would be with the kiss tour back in 2004 rock the nation i had um gone out to see that show at the tweeter center had been invited by the poison guys had been backstage and so i'm assuming that at some point in catering we must have crossed pass or bumped into each other or something so <laughs> let, let's let's start with that because the book is called start with a dream it is out now and it talks about how you went from you know a, a dreamer for the lack of a better word to having a realized goal of being on broadway the z-rock tv series um opening for kiss kiss nation Talk to me about your 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 love for Kiss and and that that moment your manager sent you that email or sent the guys the email and said you're going to open forty shows for Kiss and your girlfriend started going sure you are um, <laughs> right I mean that that's sort of how that's how that, I tra- that that's is, how I translated the book <laughs> that is exactly how it happened so the book is is called Start with a Dream it's really a feel good story of my journey through the music business. And it's really about me growing up a KISS fan. I saw KISS in 1979 at Madison Square Garden, 
and my life changed. I saw Peter Chris go up on his drum riser and levitate in the air. And I said, that's it. My life has changed. That's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. So from that point on, five years old, I pursued that tirelessly for the next 20, 30 years. And finally, like you, like you mentioned, I was in a band called ZO2. And we had just started out. We just released our first full-length album, Tuesdays and Thursdays, in 2004. We had only played maybe seven to ten live shows at that point. And our manager at the time got our CD to Paul Stanley. And Brides of Destruction was originally supposed to be on that Kiss Rock the Nation tour along with Poison. And at the last minute, they either canceled or got thrown off. Rumors, no idea how exactly it happened. But sure enough, we got the call. Paul loved the CD. Paul loved the energy. He loved that we were a young band up and coming and they needed someone really fast because this was probably around April and the tour was starting in the beginning of June. So I woke up one morning, I had an email. Hey guys, I uh, hope you're not too busy this summer. You just got 40 dates opening up for kiss. Wow. Mind blown, almost passed out, crap in my pants, you know, <laughs> all the sensations you would think that would happen from that email. Wow. But okay, we'll get back to the Kiss story. But more importantly, uh, your life changed when you met Steve Brown and PJ Farley of Trickster. Um, talk to me about that, because opening for Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley is all very nice, but hanging out with PJ and Steve—that's <laughs> well, a whole are... different level. Well, this book unfortunately ends right before I met those crazy nuts. So, part two. <laughs> Start with the dream part two will be all about my shenanigans with these guys. So I met Steve Brown and PJ Farley. We hooked up. They were playing with Eric's Eric Martin from Mr. Big and they were looking for a drummer. I had known Steve for a little while and I had actually never, I met PJ a couple times in you know, just in passing and stuff. And I had never really met Eric and they were looking for a drummer and I came down, played with them. We gelled and the rest is history. We're, we're hopefully working on a record right now. And we're looking to tour a lot more this year. A lot of fun. These guys are crazy. So much fun with these guys. Great music. Oh, we playing all the Mr. Big hits. We're playing all the trickster hits. I mean, it's really like, a. uh, <laughs> did that really need to be in the plural? <laughs> There's a lot of them. Mitch. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, but okay. But so let me, I'll get back to kiss in a second, but the, so Eric Martin, the Eric Martin band is going to make sort of, I guess a solo record for him. Is that going to be new material or are you sort of reprising the Mr. Big stuff in a different context, acoustic or reimagined or what is that going to be? And what's the timeline and is everybody writing or did Eric sort of come to you and say, here are my songs. Go learn them, and then we'll press. I mean, you know, because that's right. That can so, be a solo honestly, process. Not even, I'm not even sure how much I'm supposed to be talking about this. I'm sure I'll get a little slack from the guys, but no, it's going to be all original material. Um, you know, new band name, all original material. Everyone's contributing. Um, we're sending stuff back and forth to each other right now to try to figure out what's cool, what's working, what's the vibe we're kind of looking for as this unit. And we're hoping to have something out, you know, maybe by spring, summer, and then, you know, do all the festivals and, you know, everything we can do. Oh, that's great. And since you mentioned a new uh, band name, let me suggest one. Uh, the Steve <laughs> Brown Band. That's that's oh, what it should be called. Well, it's funny. That's what Steve has been pushing, but we're, we're kind of outvoting him on that one right now. <laughs> all right. Um, so, so let's get back to Kiss, because you also were part of this Eric Carr Unfinished Business album that came out posthumously back in uh, 2011. 
you did All Hell's Breaking Loose, and you also did the Car Jam 1981. Um, talk to me about that project and 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 getting that put together, and get and who sort of came to you and I, was it Loretta that came to you, his sister, and said, "Let's do something." Yes, that project was a dream come true for me. I've been an Eric Carr fan, obviously, with my Kiss story. Peter was my first influence, who actually wrote the forward of my book, which is incredible. But Eric became throughout the eighties, my really, my drum influence throughout the eighties when I was, you know, a teenager and stuff. And I had done Eric Carr in a kiss tribute band called kiss nation for many years. And obviously that was so great for me to do. And I became friends with Eric's sister Loretta through that. And through the years, you know, as the O2 became more popular, we stayed in touch and, you know, we were always looking to do some projects together. And she contacted us about appearing on the unfinished business CD. And sure enough, you know, we, we did all hell's breaking loose. She asked us to do a cover of one of Eric's songs that he wrote. So we picked that one. I think it came out pretty good. (laughs) And I recreated Eric's car jam from 1981. And I did a little bit of my own spin on it, but it was such an honor to be a part of that. It was amazing. It was amazing. It really was. And, and that to me is, is sort of the second time where we sort of cross paths, but didn't really cross paths because in uh, 2013, my wife's father passed away from prostate cancer and we raised money or I raised money for a palliative care home. And, and I put together this kiss tribute called a world with heroes and Loretta donated the song eyes of love that had Benny on it. And so it wasn't directly with you, but it, it, it sort of came from that unfinished business over to the A World with Heroes. So we were in that sort of similar uh, circle back then. But OK. Right. Uh, right. I, I remember all that. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and it was a great it raised thirty five thousand dollars for the uh, for the home. Amazing. And, you know, uh, but let, let's great get C- great CD, by the way. Great CD. It's you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna be arrogant i'm gonna say it is absolutely the best kiss tribute ever because it was <laughs> i it love was, it it was done for the right reason and everybody who performed performed for free they donated they and and so it was done with heart and it was done with love and you can hear it in the music it, it is it all the performances are absolutely heart anyway it's, agree. it's i agree it's great <laughs> It's great. Um, but let me get back because, you know, Kiss is on their end of the road tour. And I, and, and I know we're talking about your book, but we are both Kiss fans. So I'm going to go a little Kiss heavy. Um, you say in the book that it was a dream come true. And then with a little sort of star, or a little caveat, you go, eh, except it wasn't Peter Chris on drums. Um, still, though, talk to me about Well, in fact, talk to me about why Peter Chris is so important to you and why it would have been, you know, even more special had he been there. Listen, no knock on Eric at all. I love Eric. I Eric love is Tommy. awesome. I, ha- I had a great, great time with them on that tour. We became friends and musicianship is off the charts. I'm actually watching the Vancouver show in the background right now on YouTube as we talk. Um, so love Eric, but Peter, you have to understand, Peter was my God growing up. I, when I saw him in 1979, five years old, I saw this cat playing this giant drum set that looked like a spaceship taking off to me. And, you know, nothing could have compared to that. I met Peter a couple of times through the years. We also became very friendly. I know Peter really well now. Of course, I got him to write my forward of my book, which is really my story coming full circle after all these years. But you know, it, it just would have been a little extra special to have Peter on that tour. Not, and believe it or not, not to watch him play drums every night, not to do all that stuff, just to 
hang out with Peter for, you know, the summer and really, you know, have him watch me play drums and so on and so forth. That type of stuff is the stuff that I missed out on not having Peter there. But again, like I said, love Eric, love Tommy, had a great time with them. Yeah, and, and, you know, I agree. Listen, my first show was August 6, 1979, Kiss Dynasty, Montreal. So literally like two weeks after you. Right. And and that's why we're talking today, because that changed me. And I just went, okay, so I tried to play drums. I tried to play guitar. And I went, well, I have no fucking talent. So, <laughs> so you know, I got into to talking, but it was from that moment. Um, when you play, because, you know, we are talking about Start With a Dream, was it Peter Chris that got you playing drums? Was it that moment or had you started playing before? And, you know, who do, who do you sort of base your playing around? Is it all just Joey or do you say, yeah, I got a little element of Eric Carr, got a little elements of, you know, whoever, uh, Tommy Lee or talk to me about your influences and where that moment said, yeah, I got to pick up sticks. Absolutely. It was when I saw Peter. I had never played drums before. I was only five years old in 1979. So when I saw Peter in 1979. And this is where the gods of telephony decided that, folks, is enough Joey Casada for you. But uh, it wasn't enough for me. We got him back on the phone. And so let's get back to the one, the only, the mighty Joey Casada. On three, two, one. Uh, so, uh, Joey, what made you want to pick up the sticks? So in 1979, when I saw Peter Chris, I was only five years old. So I had obviously never played drums before. But when I saw him, a cat, you know, on this giant, massive drum set that looked like a spaceship to me, that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I didn't want to, you know, do anything else. So that's really what got me started playing drums. But, you know, obviously I was only five years old. So I was kind of banging around on a toy, Toys R Us kit that I got for Christmas that year. And it wasn't until Creatures of the Night and all of that stuff started to come out and all of the 80s kiss that I really developed as a drummer. So Eric Carr really became just as much of an influence on me as Peter Chris, if not even more, because I got to see Eric all throughout the 80s for all those tours. I went to, you know, Animal. I didn't get to see Lick It Up, but I saw Animal Eyes on. I saw all those tours. So seeing Eric every year, a couple of times every year was, you know, really what, drew me to the drums more and more and more. Peter was still my idol because I still had, you know, I still had a live one. I had a live two. I had all the Kiss records and I had those solos to mimic and practice to. But when Kiss Animalized Uncensored came out, that was like my Bible. I copied Eric Carr's playing on that, you know, to a T. And that's kind of where I based off all my playing. And another influence that I had was, was Robert Sweet of Striper, who was a big influence on me. And it's, it's funny because some people will laugh at that and think, Striper this, Striper that. He is such a phenomenal drummer and such a a unique drummer. And I still copy some of his style to today. Well, you know, uh, I don't see why people would laugh at Striper. M- musically or musician-wise, I mean, they haven't had the success of A Kiss or The Rolling Stone. I mean, we understand that. But musically, they're an exceptionally tight unit. Michael sings fantastically. They play guitar. I mean, it's, it's a great band, a great unit. I I couldn't agree more. They're one of my favorite bands of all time. But again, in in the music community, when you talk to other musicians and drummers and guitar players, that's not the typical band that will come up as influences. And for me, he always was. He was always a big influence to me. So when I bring it up to other drummers or whoever it is, you know, they kind of look like, hey, that's a little weird. That's a kind of a weird pick. But again, big influence on me. 
Okay, so you mentioned in the just now that you really, really loved Animalize. It was sort of like a Bible to you. Um, talk to me about that, because as a Kiss fan myself, that is one of my least favorite Kiss albums. I just never, I never, I didn't enjoy the cover. I didn't. I thought some of the songs were were watered down. I mean, Thrills in the Night and okay, Under the Gun is great, but but. Uh-huh. So you might have misunder you might might have misheard or misunderstood. I didn't say animalize. I said animalize live uncensored. Ah, now so, we're right. okay. Now we're yeah, talking. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's I, that's a different ball game because that's awesome. Right. That, and, and that one's the, where Bruce Kulick stands like a tree, and, and fans called him Spruce Kulick for 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 years, which was awful. You should never say that. Bruce is awesome. But okay, but, you know, th- having that home video as a kid, that was really my first Kiss home video. I didn't have any bootlegs or anything like that, so that was my first time that I could pop them in and out of my VCR anytime I wanted and just watch them. And I watched that tape minimum twice a day for probably three years. Okay, and by the way. Who doesn't love Kiss on tape? I mean, it's 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 wonderful. Um, okay, uh, let me move on from that. The uh, Broadway play, The Great Comet, right? Fabulous yeah. play. Uh, talk to me about that because you're doing Steve Brown, you're doing the stuff with Jim Brewer, you did you did your band, you did the Kiss tour, blah blah blah. Talk to me about being on Broadway and what that's like because that's an entirely different challenge. That's an entirely different mindset. Um, Explain that to me, and how did you sort of get there, and why did you want to go there, and and just just explain the whole difference between that and being in a rock band. Like you said, it absolutely is a t- totally different animal. Being on Broadway is so different than touring and being in rock bands. So obviously, my history, ZO2, we played for a long, long time, did a lot of tours, did a lot of opening up for acts, and you know we hit we hit the mainstream with Z Rock. We had our own television show, Z Rock, for a long time. And that was a huge success for us. But, you know, over the years, everyone started going their other way. So we, we took a little hiatus for a while. And I started a family. I had two kids. And I decided that I wanted to be more local. I wanted to not tour as much. Still love touring. Still love that whole scene. But I needed to be a little bit more local, at least while my kids were small, just so I could be a part of their lives every day. And Broadway was just the perfect opportunity. But I don't know if anyone knows this, trying to break into the Broadway community is next to impossible. So I tried for years. I would go look at shows and watch shows and, you know, sit with the drummer at at Rock of Ages or sit with the drummer at Book of Mormon and, you know, try to work my way in and network. And unfortunately, nothing was ever breaking through. Right, because you're you're not one of them. Exactly. It's such a tight knit community that if like you said if you're not one of them you're an outsider so what happened was i've been the sub for um trans-siberian orchestra for almost 13 years now the drummer sub and over the years obviously i've met hundreds of great amazing musicians and one of the musicians that i met through who was also one of the sub players was the sub keyboard pianist named or matthias and or called me out of the blue one day that he was performing and he's MDing a new show off Broadway called the great comet of 1812. And he was asking me if I was interested in possibly coming and being the drummer, if I would come down and audition and kind of see if I liked it, if they liked me. So long story short, went down kind of auditioned and they had their first show the night after. So I literally had to learn this whole book of music in almost one night. And 
you know, I went to school for music and stuff, but I hadn't sight read in such a long time that it was very challenging to me. So I, you know, I took the book, I took some of the, you know, the raw recordings that they had and I, and I literally stayed up for 24 hours and learned this whole book of music to perform, start performing with them the next night. And then so on and so forth. We had a great run off Broadway and we got the call one day that Josh Groban, obviously mega singer, Josh Groban wanted to be part of the show. And we opened up on Broadway shortly after, and we led the Tony Awards that year. We performed at Radio City Music Hall on the Tony Awards for, I think it was something like 12 or 13 million people. It was a dream come true. It was really a great dream job of mine. It was, you know, I, I would literally go go to work every day on, on the train. So I live in New Jersey on the bus and go do two shows, come home, bring my kids to school the next morning, pick them up for school. And start all over again. It was it was a perfect, perfect dream job for me. Oh, it really was. Um, I would imagine another dream do- job for you would be to be the uh, drummer of Fozzie, right? Take over. <laughs> that bastard Chris Jericho. He's always bad-mouthing me on these networks. So I know this is his network. But Chris, listen, you better write a good review about my book. I don't know if you saw the post that he made about my book, but he's making fun of it that it's only a paper- in paperback right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but he did say, we're, we're here. where's the quote? It says, uh, like me, Joey loves uh, music, wrestling, and comedy, plus he's a killer drummer, blah, blah, blah. Anywho, read this book. Come on. He, he did give you props uh, in the book, so you got you to gotta give him that. Um, just real quick, we started off with 2004. Let me go back to that. The band at the time, Kiss, you opening for Kiss with Poison, uh, it really was for me the perfect uh, bill. I really enjoyed what the, the one show I saw. Um, the band at the time, Kiss, was changing their set list, bringing in some older stuff. Uh, you know, they were doing Tears Are Falling, and um, uh, what was some of the older stuff they were doing um, uh, from the first couple? Oh, they of, put in. I think they uh, did All the Way. That time. All the Way. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, what do you think of that? Because they are on their farewell tour right now, or or end of the road tour. Not not calling it farewell. Um, <laughs> should they be going deeper? Or should they sort of stick to let's give what the casual fan will know and make sure that 19,000, you know, is, is there room to throw in a couple of gems just for the diehards? Listen, uh, uh, listen, that tour was phenomenal. Um, and there's so many stories in my book about the Rock the Nation tour. We played wiffle ball with Kiss and we have I have pictures of, as, of us in catering with Kiss and just nonstop you know, just camaraderie and shenanigans on that tour. I have so many stories in the book, but moving forward to now and the set list now, I, you know, listen, they can preach all they want that they have to play the hits. And, and I agree, but if you look at their set, war machine, the war machine is not a hit, you know, stuff like that. They're not hits. The, the general public doesn't know those songs. Right. So yes, they, they have five slots. I think that they can play with every night. And that's kind of what they did on the rock. The nation tour. They had like five slots that they would, interject you know tears are falling or all the way or making love and um lover all i can stuff like that they would interject these some not so much rarities but just songs that they don't play every day and i think there's so much room for that still you know the whole cliche of we have to play the hits and the ue everyone expects the hits i agree but if you look at the set list some of the songs are not mainstream hits that people know yes of course the majority of them are but you have the slots in there to play every night. Give the diehard fans a little taste of something new. You could throw a new song in every other night. Throw one or two. Just keep interchanging stuff. Why not? Yeah, and you know what? Uh, 
as a Kiss fan, I'm going to debate this with you because I, I agree, and I would say I would even take it further. I would say a song like One Hundred Thousand Years or War Machine, like you pointed out, aren't hits, and so they could be cast aside because if you're going to talk about hits. Where's Forever? You can't tell me that the casual fan never heard that. Where is right. Reason Where's to Live? Where's Crazy like Nights? Right? I mean, yeah. th- those had an MTV presence. And whether you like it or not, anything that had an MTV presence is in, it's indelibly marked in the brains of the fans that are that age going to the show. So if you're going to talk uh, uh, hits, then 100,000 Years is not one. Uh, right. Psycho Circus is not one. Uh, say, right. Say, yeah. All, you know, all these songs. And listen, yeah. I love that they're doing that stuff. Don't get me wrong. But then you can't, if you're doing these songs, you can't preach that we can only do the hits. Exactly. You and have that's, to be able to interchange stuff. Right. And that's why the 2004 tour with you opening, Poison in second place, and and Kiss doing this incredibly varied set list, to me, was the ultimate tour non-classic era band. I agree. I mean, you know, obviously I'm biased because I was on the tour and right. I got to see it every night from the front row. But that tour, they had a new spark with, you know, Tommy and Eric just joining and they realized, wow, we can play a lot of songs. Maybe we couldn't play these last few years. Let's start interjecting all this stuff. And, you know, we would be in soundcheck every day watching them and we would be screaming out the rarest songs, you know, Under the Rose and, you know, Paul would fling a pick and hit me in the face with it. What do you mean under the rose? No one wants to hear under the rose, but you know, people do people, you know, people wanted to hear all the way. I remember being at the merch stand and signing autographs one night, selling CDs. And we heard them start tears of falling. And the three of us, like, you know, little schoolgirls, ran top speed to the front row to watch them do tears of falling. It was just a great set list. They had a lot of energy that tour. It was just Everything was fresh, that tour. And, you know, obviously they've, they've played many years since then, and some tours have been more stale than others. And hopefully this tour, they, they inject a little bit more life back into it. Yeah, and, you know, and, and I'll even say this. On that tour, I had seen them in 2003 opening up for um, Aerosmith, and I thought, oh, my God, I have now seen my last Kiss show. This is just not 1979 Kiss anymore. It's not Revenge Kiss and then the tour started because the, the 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 Boston show was a little bit later in the year, and I saw the set list coming through on the wonderful internet, and I was like, "They did what? They did all the way? They did making love? They?" And I was like, "Fuck! Now I have to go," and that's why I went. It was it wasn't because they were playing "I Love It Loud" for the eighteen millionth time. It's because I was like, "Okay, I'm seeing there's like three or four songs every night that are sort of wild cards. I want to be there." when they hit those wild cards so I can go, oh man, I saw all the way or I saw whatever. And those songs came in and I forget exactly which ones they were for Boston, but they came in and I went to the merch stand and I bought the instant live classic CD or the, you know, the instant live CDs they were selling. And I went, yep, that's, that's one for the ages. And it was that variety in the set list that did it. And it's, it's, it's important. I mean, anyway, whatever. Uh, and if, listen, and they can say all they want that, you know, it's like, you, like we said, the hits, but we even talked to them backstage about that show. You know, we were, I, we debated with Gene every day, had lunch with Gene every day, that tour. And we would talk to him all the time about the set list. And he was, t- he was telling us how much fun it was doing those songs again and how it gets stale doing the same set list. And you're locked into the same set list every night. 
So, you know, they can preach all they want that they have to do the same set list. They don't want to either. They want to do other songs. I'm not sure how they choose and why they choose what they choose, but they they want a they want a variety as well. Yeah, they really do. Here, I punched up the set list uh, for for the Tweeter Center show. It was uh, Making Love that was in there. Got to choose a fucking beautiful song. I want you. I mean, holy mackerel! Come on, let's let's get I mean, back to those. Not, they're not doing they're not doing one song on Rock and Roll Over right now, I, which is incredible to me. They're not doing one song. It's my favorite Kiss studio album. They're not doing they're not doing one song. It's incredible. Well, it it is rock and roll over is probably the best purest kiss album there is i know everybody goes oh destroyer to me destroyer is a bob ezrin solo album with kiss playing the parts and i and if that's offends people well tough luck Ki- rock and roll over is kiss being kiss at the best take me Agreed. um making love i mean come on that blue little tear it's it's fantastic <laughs> everything about it's fantastic um joey always a pleasure talking to you we we, we got to hang out earlier in uh, well in 2018 at that uh, nerf the uh, new england rock fest and uh yes start with a dream is the new books folks it is available pretty much everywhere right amazon where else can folks get it um, it'll be, it'll be in store soon, but right now it's strictly on Amazon. Um, I was just having formatting issues with the hardcover. So I rushed the, the soft cover out. It's on Amazon right now, believe it or not. I was the number one bestseller when I first opened two weeks ago, I'm down to number four or five right now. So please, your listeners get me back up. It's actually on sale for only $15 still on Amazon. It's a huge book. It has hundreds of pictures of, you know, my, like I said, myself backstage with kiss and the whole kiss tour and, all the guest stars on Z rock and so many entertainment stories throughout the year of my career. It's really a fun read. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's roughly, it's almost 500 pages and and it's got a lot of great pictures and, um, you know, hopefully someday you will be able to uh, convince a Steve Brown to write his book because that's a story uh, that needs to be told. I might have to write it for him, so maybe he'll dictate it to me. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. He, yeah, he didn't finish high school. No, I'm kidding. Um, Joey, always a great pleasure. And, of course, uh, anytime you want back on, come on on. We'll, we'll talk book. We'll talk kiss. Uh, we'll talk all that stuff. And as we say up here, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Mitch. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk. 